That's a good example. That's, this is why we have to be reminded. <laughs> yes, we forget about the things that God has given us and um, not only in, in the lives that we live now, but we need to be reminded, finish well. I have seen catastrophes of people as they go on in their Christian life that they don't finish well. It's a disappointment. And they have regrets at the end. But we don't want any regrets. We have an example to follow. Timothy has this example, not only how to live the Christian life, not only how to minister, but how to die in Christ. How to finish well. What a pattern. No regrets. We've fought the fight. Or we've ran the race. Or we kept the faith. And we're all motivated by the fact that we have the great hope, the blessed hope, as Titus calls it, about Jesus Christ appearing again. Right? So the outline is real easy. It's present tense, past tense, future tense. You get that? That is our outline today. And so when we deal with that, we can uh, realize, oh, okay, uh, how was I in my past? How, how am I... You know, what's going on now, what's, what's happening in the future. What will be your epitaph? What will be, what could be on that tombstone one day? You know, we take a personal assessment right now and we can say, here's my epitaph for, for right now. You know, Paul was totally at peace, wasn't he? He was at peace with God. He knew that he was a living sacrifice. And that's right. He was living at that time, but he also was a sacrifice, is a sacrifice, and he is going to be a sacrifice. He wanted to finish well. He did. He wants Timothy to finish well. God's Word tells us that He wants us to finish well. We need to finish even better than what we are now. We don't want to regress. We want to finish well and have the same attitude of Paul. So we're going to take a look at his model outline, his attitude, and say, this is what I want to say if I get an opportunity right at the last. I want to be able to say this. So we start off in verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. And it says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. It's here. I am being. So do you see the present tense? So he starts with the time that he is right now. Hey, this is what's happening, Timothy, while I'm in this filthy, stinking jail, that I'm going to die, and I want to tell you, this is happening now. He knew his time was short. His departure really, in a sense, is... Underway. It's already being done. It's over. As far as his ministry is done, it's been poured out. It's already begun. The time there, it says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. The time, uh, the word there is keros, and that's a different word than chronos. Get that right, Luke, there, right? Keros is dealing with what? Uh, an epic, an era, a season. The season of his departure. So it's kind of an extended time. 
His departure is already happening now. He's not dead yet, and that's really what it's really pointing to. And we'll even explain that because we're not even talking about Paul really dying. His body is. But there's a departure here, and we'll get into that word in a moment. But just for the moment, keros, there's a word for chronos, which is like a clock time, you know? But this is dealing with the season. The season of my departure is already here. It's here. I'm getting. Re- I- I'm departing now. I don't have a future in this world as as what I've done before. It- it's taking place. The trial is already over. They-, they did the trial in the court case. That's done. It's already been said. I'm facing execution. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He doesn't know when. <laughs> But he's saying, uh, trial is over, here's where I'm at. And so now, uh, and we're going to have to get into this drink offering, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Drink offering. The word offering, drink offering, uh, Paul didn't see his life as a tragedy the way that it comes to and and you know people today would look at that and go wow that, that's a terrible tragedy here he's done all of this and look where he's at the most humiliating place to be and he's come to this point he didn't say that he was treated unfairly did he wow this is this is amazing he's a man like us i mean he's a, he's a human you know But he saw this time, this season, it was an offering of a sacrificial life. He's a sacrifice. That's what he saw himself. His whole life is a sacrifice. I just give myself up. What did Jesus say? Forget yourself. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Just follow me. Sacrifice, right? The burnt offering... And this is referring to the burnt offering. And we'll we'll turn back to the Old Testament moment and look at this. It's not a usual expression for somebody to go around saying, hey, I'm a drink offering. Have you heard of anybody say that recently? (laughs) Quite a vernacular would be, uh, I'm going to be a drink offering. Unless you're referring to this passage. But Paul does that because a Jewish person certainly would have known this. Anybody who um, has been into the Scripture at all, he's saying, okay, I know the people have recognized on their part that the wages of sin is death. Of course, Romans 3 talks about that. That's the wages of sin. It's death. A sacrifice is necessary to come in and demonstrate that the sacrifice here is pointed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what all the Old Testament sacrifices were really about. They didn't really take away the sin. They were an example of the atonement, the covering of sin. So it was something they could see. It was a building block in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, one, two, three, A, B, C, right? And it, but it was really pointing to Christ, and the, that's the depth of it all. The one and the only true sacrifice. And there was nothing wrong in having those sacrifices. God gave it to them to do. So that they would see that it's not... You know, we look back as a memorial, you know, even when we take the Lord's Supper, they looked forward to this ultimate sacrifice. The animal was slain, how much of the animal was slain? Half of it, boom. He cut it right in half, boom. There's it for the Lord, and half of it's for me. He put the whole thing up there. 
The whole thing is put on the altar. Put on the altar and it's an offering to God for sin. That's the picture. It's a picture of the cross. But until Christ comes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have an animal that's slain on the, on the altar. Uh, but the, the animal itself wasn't the only thing there. On that animal, then they would put some flour and oil and mix it together. Right. When you put flour and oil together, what do you get? <coughs> bread. They put bread on that sacrificial animal, on the meat. Sounds like you got a really good barbecue going on. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's on that burning oil. Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> but it, to the Lord, it is a sweet savor. Quite an aroma that goes to the Lord when they did that, and they did it from the heart. The Lord was pleased and honored. So it smelled like. A barbecue, in a sense, with bread baking on of it. And then we'll look at Numbers 15 here in a moment. And the final thing they would put on that was the, the wine. The wine is the drink offering. Sweet wine. It was poured out all across it. And now you really have a sweet aroma that's going to the Lord. Usually you don't hear anything about that drink offering. We just think of them bringing in the animal and boom, you know, they light the torch it up and there it goes. And Paul is saying, that's my life. I'm the, this now is the drink offering. Here's what I've done all my life. I'm a sacrifice. He's like, he's that sacrificial animal. At the very end, he puts the drink offering on it. Okay? I put my whole life up there. And it started with the Damascus Road. You know what happened to the Damascus Road? That's where the Lord drew a dead man spiritually to him and gave him life. Gave him sight physically, brought him to life. Thirty years of this is up there on the altar now. So let's turn to Numbers chapter 15. Let's look at what the law says. This is what the people did for all those many years. 1,500 years. Then Christ said, That's enough. Or God says, That's enough. Now uh, he, Christ has done it on the cross. No more sacrifices need to be made. It's been done. And of course, we know what Jesus did when He died on the cross at the temple, which is where the altar was and the sacrificial animals were to be brought. And you go back into the Holy of Holies and such, and there was a curtain, and the curtain tore from top to bottom. And, he, and the, the words were said, It is finished. No longer does there need to be a sacrifice. It is done. It is finished. But for 1,500 years, here's what they did. And starting at uh, chapter 15, and uh, oh, let's say, let's, let's, let's just pick up verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, say to them, When you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving you, then make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow, or as a free will offering, or in your appointed times to make a soothing aroma to the Lord from the herd or from the flock. The one who presents his offering shall present to the Lord a grain offering, here's our bread, of one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of oil. So there is our flour, there's our oil, or bread. 
And you shall prepare wine for the drink offering, one-fourth of a hen with the burnt offering, or for the sacrifice for each lamb, or for a ram. He's talking about all the different animals at different times. Here's, what, here's the process, though. You shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an S, F, a fine flour mixed with one-third of a hen of oil. And for the drink offering, you shall offer one-third of a hen of wine as a soothing aroma to the Lord. When you prepare a bull as to a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or for peace offerings to the Lord, then you shall offer with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an F of fine flour mixed with one half a hen of oil. And you shall offer as the drink offering one half a hen of wine as an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Get the pattern there? It just keeps talking about that. You have the animal, then you have the bread, then you have the wine. And that finishes it off. And that's the sacrifice. That's what they were to do on uh, different kind of sacrifices and such. If you turn over to chapter 28 of Numbers, uh, verse 7. You know, if you're reading this and reading book of Leviticus or Numbers for the very first time, you don't know anything about offerings and such, you're reading through that and you go, what? A hen of offering? What, what are they talking about? Right? But all it is, it's a picture of what's to come when Christ comes on the scene. And so here in chapter 28 and verse 7 it says, Then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you'll pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. So, fruit of vine is put right there. It's put on the offering and uh, finishes that off. So, So Paul picks up on this in our passage in Timothy. Why don't we turn to Philippians 2, verse 17, and we get uh, another example of a drink offering. Paul uses this again. He says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice... Now, does that make sense? Even if I'm being put, I'm like the drink offering that's put on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Even if this means this is it for me, I'm the last topping that's put on this barbecue here, you know, then that's okay. You know, I've, I've been sacrificing and now if this means it, hey, I share my joy with you all. He has already had that view and so he takes it. Uh, here at, at this time. And this reminds us of Romans 12.1. Paul really used this analogy several times, didn't he? In Romans chapter 12, after he's given 11 chapters of doctrine, then he tells you how to live it. How to live the faith. And he starts off with this. This. What's the word? Therefore. Therefore, I urge you, I really exhort you, brethren, by the mercies of God. What are we to do? To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Our bodies, right now, as we're living. Not dead, but living sacrifice. They never did do that. It was to be killed. Sacrifice. That's what it was. But now, he says, now you are a living sacrifice. A holy sacrifice set apart, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Of worship. That's our worship. That is our service. That's what we do. We, Our altar is our service. It's an ongoing thing. And we do that by not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Word of God, 
is working in you as you read it and study it, as you hear it. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So as you know God, you know all about Him because the Word of God, then you start practicing or walking the will of God. And so that's the idea that Paul puts forth. We are living sacrifices. Would you say that Paul has been a living sacrifice? Now does it make sense that he is now a drink offering? He's at the very end. He's putting, you know, when we have a barbecue, we have, uh, oh, we had it back er, earlier this spring, uh, Memorial Day, I think of that, when we had, we had a barbecue going or, or using the grill, and then we actually had, we had corn uh, that was going on at the same time that was being ro- roasted there right there on the grill. It was being grilled, grilled corn. You know, and, and that was kind of like on top of that. And then they, they put usually on the meat some kind of a special mix, you know, it's probably going to have some kind of oil in it or something, right? And uh, to, to give that extra little flavor uh, so that it would be pleasing to all the people who eat it, right? Okay. <laughs> You're getting your taste buds going now. <laughs> now I start seeing people walk out of here and say, I'm hungry, I'm going. <laughs> okay. We've extended that a little bit too far. Let's go to Acts 20, verse 24. <laughs> and... Uh, Paul says this, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. He said, well, that's Paul. That was his message. And, that, and that's, that's just talking about him. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's Paul. But that's every Christian. Every Christian should realize that our lives really to ourselves are not really any account. You know, we, we, don't, we don't, you know, it's not about us. That's really what it is. I mean, if it's all glory to God, when we say all glory to God, then who else is the glory to? Do I get like 1% of the glory? No. No, 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 no. Don't consider your life of any account as dear to yourself, but you're here to finish the marathon. And the service, the ministry that God has given you to do. Everybody has their own gifts. You have your ministry to do. And you receive that from the Lord Jesus, not anybody else. And really, it it boils down to this. No matter what your gift is, what are we all doing? We're testifying solemnly of the gospel or the good news about the grace of God. You're saved in no other way but by the grace of God. Him dying on the cross, that that work being finished there, nothing else to be done. And that's how you come to Christ, believing that He saves you and His sacrifice does it, and it's all by His grace. Is that good news? You mean there's nothing else that I have to do? There must be something I do, like... Uh, go out and run a, a 440? A 400-meter? No. No? Just trust in that sacrifice. For the rest of your life, trust in that sacrifice. So the sacrifice. The sacrifice. We want to run the race. We want to view our whole lives 
This is my final offering. Paul is saying, my blood will be poured out like a drink offering. When you cut a head off the body, uh, I've never been at one of those executions, but I can say there's a lot of blood just spewing all over the place, smattering the walls, the floor, wherever. That symbolized his death. I think he understood sacrifice. And that's why he could fight that fight. And we'll explain that in a moment. That's why he could run this really hard race. That's why he could say, I, I've come all the way to the end. I still have the faith. It's not about Paul's success. It's not about his success. It's not about me. It's not about my accolades, Paul says. It's not about my prestige. It's not about my prominence. It wasn't anything but sacrifice. Sacrifice. That means finish well. You need to view every part of your life. You need to view that and see it as a sacrificial worship to God every part of your life. I think that that would make us more and more set apart, wouldn't you? Every part of our lives. It's those hidden rooms, hidden room I guess you could say, that we have that uh, we really are not too proud of. And we know what that is. We know what those sins are. We're not proud of those. But some reason they just kind of keep staying around there. We kind of keep hanging on to it. Well, we look at it this way and realize that I'm going to be poured out. Then I think we start seeing it a little more clearly. Because it's not about us. Sounds pretty rude, doesn't it? <laughs> not about me. Uh, he uses that word departure. We're still in verse 6. Now, we're explaining these words as we go through. Does, it, does this help as we break it down? We talked about I'm already. This is happening now. I'm being poured as a drink offering. We looked back and saw the sacrifice, right? And now the time of my departure has come. We said the word for time is uh, what? Time is seasons, right? My departure. My departure has come. Departure. Departure. Analuso. Analuso. Uh, I can take part of that Greek word and make it make sense for English. To loosen. It's to loosen. It was used as unyoking an animal from a plow. That means the animal has been working, laboring. And so the animal is just let loose from being that plow. So uh, there's, there's pictures in this word. I'm just going to use some word pictures of what this meant back then because when we say departure now, sometimes it gives... Uh, allusions to what? What does that? What's departure mean? Uh, but it's a separation of the body from the soul. It's departure. It means you're leaving here and you're going to go there. And that can mean a lot of things. When we go today from this building, we're going to leave this building and we're probably going to go home. We might go somewhere else for you know a time, but we're still going to we're depart, we're going to depart from here until we come back, right? Um, 
You go to an airport and you see all sorts of screens through there. Aha, Nondor, did you see some screens in there? And you check that out and say, departure, arrival times, all those kind of things. You might see the word departure. Did you see that word? Ah, it was there. All right. We have a living example right here to say, that's right. Departure. That doesn't, at that time, that didn't necessarily mean that you're going to die. Because if that, if that would be the case, you're going, oh, wait a minute, I'm not going there. Not going that time. Um, but it did mean that you were going to go from one place to another at a such and such time. So that's, that's what you see there. You know, certain planes will be departing at a time. Uh, the Greek word is so vivid. It's so much in expression here. So you can think of a unyoking of, of an animal from a plow or a, a cart. To us, it, it means when our bodies die, it really means our labors our toils in this life are done. Yeah. We've been loosened from that. That's what it means. To a, boy, to a Christian, that is positive, isn't it? Well, another good way to look at it, it meant the loosening of the bonds of a prisoner. What does departure mean? To have your bonds loosened. If you're a prisoner, you're, you're, you're bonded. You're, you're loked, uh, yoked to another, maybe the guard or something, or you are in, in, in the bonds, you know, the handcuffs or whatever. Uh, to a Christian, when our bodies die, we're released from the bonds of this corruption body. It's a body of corruption, and we're released from this. So, we have victory. The battle has been over, and we've won. We're heading home. Departure, so in that sense. There's another one. Um, so, what we, we've had, like an animal, a prisoner. You get those? Let's keep describing this word. Let's give another word picture. It's a soldier who has a tent. The soldier goes out and when he's going to go from one place to another, he's going to take the tent down and he's going to go. As a matter of fact, in this sense, we are going to take, our tents are going to be taken down and never to be put back up again. Not this tent. We're not going to ever be in this tent. And all this, this is a tent. I think in Second Corinthians 5 it talks about the tents that we're in. That's a, um, a little place to dwell for a little time. It's not permanent, is it? You remember the tabernacle means tent? And when they were worshiping out in the wilderness, what were they in before David wanted it to be put in a temple and then Solomon later did? But David never got to be in that temple. right? He never got to build that. But that temple would be a permanent place. The tabernacle, they just moved all over the place and they'd worship God you know, with that you know, and, and they'd pick it up and move on. But finally there was a time when they took the tent up, boom, that was it, they were gone, right? So uh, they're loosed from that tent. We are loosed from our tents. That's what will happen. And one more word picture, and all of these just kind of help as we put them together. Uh, It might be too much, but uh, how about a ship who has really the the ropes? uh, You have a loosening of the mooring of a ship. All right? So when our bodies our dead, our earthly ship, you know, right here, it's going to leave the shore of this stormy earth that we are in and we're going to 
be put into the very calm ports of heaven. Okay? That's a departure. Time my departure. So if you have Paul's view of death as a departure in that way, you'll be able to finish without any kind of fear. And so we talk about death here. This is a great doctrine because everybody dies. The problem is, if one doesn't trust in that sacrifice, the only way to get into heaven, they do have a ticket all right. I was listening to Alistair Begg on the way here this morning. And he said, everybody, as soon as they are born, have a ticket. And it's a ticket to hell. Boy, is that ever solemn and somber. (laughs) But you need to know that there's a ticket that can get you to heaven. It's not anything that you can do, but it's trusting in that sacrifice that Christ paid the penalty for your sins. And you deserve to go to that place called hell and you have the ticket to there, but I've got a ticket for you. The ticket is Christ. Do you want it? Hmm. Sadly, most people don't want that ticket. They don't know where they're going after they die. Don't you think that is sad? They don't know about the departure. Do they know they're going to die? Yeah, everybody knows. There is, can anybody go around saying, well, I'm not going to die? Well, I have heard that before, but that, that has never happened. Now, there will be people who will be caught up to the Lord and somehow they shed their bodies and move right into the glorification body. He says, I'm going to tell you a mystery. <laughs> and you're caught up with the Lord and immediately, boom, you just change it. I think that would be really cool to be part of that history. <laughs> Don't you guys think so? But for the most part, that's not going to happen to most people. But, you know, Christ comes back, boom, you're still living, and boom, He just takes you, and zap, boom, that body's gone, boom, got a new body. Hey, boy, that's great. But, you know, here's what Paul said, Philippians 1, 21-23. And, boy, what a funeral verse this is. For to me, to live is Christ, right now, it's all about Christ, to live right now is Christ, and to die is Gain. He says, I want to tell you something. It's even better to die. Now, for all those things, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd rather just die right now. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I don't know which to choose. But I am hard pressed for both directions, having the desire to depart, to loosen up the tent ropes and be with Christ. For that's very much better. It will be. But at the same time, I'm here to serve. That's what I'm here for. And that's what I want to do. But I'll tell you what, I'd sure like to be with the Lord too. Does that make you say, I can live here without fear? Death is laying aside anything that binds us, that pulls us like sin does. Death is is striking a, a camp, taking up the tent, moving on. It's taking up residence in a permanent place, our eternal home. Death is casting off the ropes of 
what binds us to the world and we sail right on into God's world where we live in His presence forever. <laughs> Don't you love that? We have nothing to fear. So, it is my duty to take these orders that have been given and to prepare myself for my departure. It's also my duty to take up this Scripture and to give it to everybody in the congregation so that they would be prepared for they too will die or depart. I like depart better. You like that? I just like to go. We wouldn't mind just going right now. But in the meantime... Right. So he started with the present tense and what an attitude and that's our, our verse 6 there, isn't it? So you're ready to go back into the past? How many that have not heard this passage before? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. There's the past. This is how we uh, looked at ministry here. It's a fight. It's a race. It's a body of truth here. It's a, it's a battle to fight. Paul stayed in the race, didn't he? All the way up to the very point of his departure. He says, I've done what God called me to do. I like that. I fought the good fight. And you know what? I love this. The word is agon. And I think you guys have heard this word many times. In the English, it is agony. And you know what he's saying here? Literally, it's, it's in this sense. I agonized the agony. I have fought the fight. Agon. Agony. Struggle. Battle. Wrestle. Box. That's hard. Fifteen rounds with a heavyweight champion. Can you imagine getting into a ring, fighting fifteen rounds? Can you imagine running 26.2 miles without stopping? A struggle. An athletic metaphor here. Paul does that quite frequently, doesn't he? It's a wrestling match. It's a boxing match. It's a race. We understand that. It was a sports world at that time. It's a sports world here. I think it's easy to understand. I want to tell you something. The Christian life is not a picnic. It's not a church Sunday school picnic. Everything all is just fine and dandy. It's hard. It's a struggle against the major, all the forces of evil. It's a struggle. It's a war against evil. Ephesians 6. It's not just any fight. It's a good fight. The fight of the Gospel. Jesus Christ. It's for the glory of God. Isn't that a good fight? It's for the salvation of souls. It's evil that's striking against us. So he says it's, it's good. It's a noble war that we're in. It's, this is a good fight. Somebody can attend church every week. They may profess to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But if their purpose in life is to be as comfortable as they can and as affluent as they can be and get all the money that they can, then they're not seeking Christ. If they're going to try to get if they're trying to get rich, if they're trying to 
get some kind of reward in this life and that's what their purpose is. And it's not for the purpose of building up the body of Christ and extending His kingdom on out to right now. It takes labor. It takes time. It's going to take your time. It's going to take a lot of time. Buy up your time, Paul says in Ephesians 5. Redeem the time. Don't waste it. Don't waste your life. John Piper has that book called Don't Waste Your Life. Boy, has that made an impact on thousands of people who read that book. Don't waste your life. People are looking for retirement. They're living for retirement. I hear that at work all the time. And I must say, yeah, that will be nice. But I never want to retire from the Lord's work. I mean, I want to, you know, if if it be possible, I want to continue to preach until the very day the Lord says, hey, you're done. Out of here. I wouldn't mind just being in the pulpit and He takes me, if that be the case. Or some, I don't care. But I still want to be teaching and preaching the Word of God. I mean, that's what I, you know, I want to live for. You know, that's what I want to do. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. It's going to take labor. It's going to take money. It's going to take every ounce of your being. That's what Paul is saying. It's a struggle, folks. And he looks back on his past and he says, I've been involved with the great struggle because of Christ. This is the way that it is. This is the way it was for Christ. This is the way it was for the early church. It was hard. And this is the way for the church for 2,000 years after that. Here it is today. It's still hard. It's struggle. It's been easy, I think, for the most part for the church. I think the challenge is awaiting us right around the corner. I think we've already turned the corner. I think we're there. I think it's there. It's not popular. Christianity is not popular anymore. People don't want to hear it. Paul said, I've been involved in the struggle. I've been involved in the war. The battle never ends. It's a great spiritual war demanding supreme commitment. It takes effort. He says, I finished the course. We just said there, fought the fight. And he says, okay, uh, how can I explain this a little further in this whole idea? And my past was... It was a race, and the word there is dramon, and it's an athletic race. It's a marathon. I've mentioned that several times. The word marathon comes from a real geographic place. Go back to where there was a decisive battle between the Greeks and the Persians in 490 B.C. 490 B.C. This is taking us almost to the time of where Israel was in Babylon, somewhere in that vicinity. If the Persians had won, what a change in history we would see in the history books. Do they write real history in the history books anymore? Uh, Rewriting history. But world history would have been totally different. The Greek realm, the Greek culture, and how much Greek culture do we still have with us today? You know, we think of the Roman culture, and of course, they got some ideas there from the Greeks too. And of course, we look at our buildings, our architecture, some of the ways of thinking and such. Is, you know, it came from the, the Greek world. Some of those things are really good. Uh, but there's a legend that after that battle, that last battle had been won, the war was done, won, and the Greeks won it. And they had a guy who, who was a, a Greek soldier, and he ran from this place called Marathon to Athens. It was something where between 21 to 25 miles, depending on which route you'd take. And he had the news. He had 
the victory news to give. And he didn't walk that and take a couple of days or semi-run, you know, kind of jog. He ran. And he got up and told the news that they won. And he dropped dead. Wore himself totally out to his death. But because of that, there is now a modern marathon race. They, they renewed that, uh, that thought of the marathon actually in uh, 1896. And then by 1908 in the Olympics, it became 26.2 miles. That is the hardest race that we know of. Paul sprinted across the finish line in the Christian marathon a flourish with vigor and enthusiasm and activity. Some people try to start out on that marathon, then the trials come, then the disappointments come. But we say, I've got to stay on the course. I have to, the Lord has laid this out for me. This is the path that He has given me. So a lot of people, they start it meaning well, but don't finish. That's why Paul says, having done all, stand. Stand firm. You know what? You want to be like this. When the battle's over, the smoke clears, you're still standing. Don't you want to see that? Everything has all been said and done. There you are standing. Our heads are up. They're seen. No such thing as an easy marathon, is there? It is not easy. It is hard. It's difficult. But I do want to tell you this. There is joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's how we get through it. There are so many trials that require endurance. It's about endurance. Endur- no regrets. Look in Acts 14.22. Look at this promise. Acts 14.22 Paul was going around and uh, encouraging churches that he had been to. They were appointing elders and such. Church is growing. And he says, uh, here's what Luke says was happening there. They were doing strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue. There's our continuing on, our perseverance in the faith, the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, we've entered in it in one sense, but in another sense, that ultimate kingdom of God that is coming, there are many tribulations that are going to happen on this path. Pilgrim's progress, remember that? It was one step after another. And you say, well, God, I don't want to be a Christian going through all that. Well, that's what people say. And if they're not a Christian, I can guarantee you they will drop out. Because they don't have any strength to finish. They cannot do it. And say, how did I ever get through this to where I'm at now? Strength of the Lord. <laughs> wasn't me. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I hope this is encouraging to us. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Oh, there's the there's the war. That, this is the, the the wrestling match here, isn't it? So easy, it, it entangles us. Let us run. There's the running the race with endurance. The race that is set before us. You know what? 
God laid that track out for you. And everything that comes on that track, don't get off of it. Every hurdle that comes, you just keep on hurdling. Right? He gave that to you, ultimately. The Lord set that before you. And here's what we're to do. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Don't look at your feet. Don't look down. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at others. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. You're going to be on the track. Your circumstances. Well, you do. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the Savior, the author and perfecter of faith. He's been there. He already ran the race. Who for the joy set before Him endured, what's our key word? Endure, endurance, the cross. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished. It was complete. It was done. Kept the faith. He wrestled. He ran. He kept the faith. This, this is all saying the same. You know what? Kept the faith. This is the criterion of what true success is. This is how Paul measured his life. It was whether he kept the faith or he kept running the race or he kept wrestling or boxing. That's how he measured the I have guarded the truth about Christ. Several times in the second epistle to Timothy, haven't we seen the word deposit that has been entrusted to us? And what do we do? We keep it. We give it out, but we guard that. It's a deposit that's been given. It's the truth, the whole embodiment of the Gospel, the core doctrines of the Christian faith. So it's not just the fact of our believing God is our sacrifice, but it's the whole doctrine, uh, the doctrines of Scripture altogether, unity. We've been entrusted with that. That is found in Jude verse 3. Jude 3, it says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation... Yeah, I think Nandor ran into people that had the same beliefs that he did. Now, I already kind of knew that because they've been writing. But when you meet somebody for the first time and you find out they believe what you do, as a matter of fact, all the way down to the very uh, intricate details of the Gospel, the sovereignty of God, as Nandor pointed out, they believe the same thing that he did, which would be the same thing that you and I believe in. It's what our church believes in. Their church believes in the same thing. What we teach here, they'd be teaching the same thing. Am I right on that, Nondor? One thing, he got his education in a very good place. He would be in a very good agreement. We know exactly what his embodiment of truth is. So, you know, um, this, you know that, that's the faith. And Paul was absolutely confident in, in the promises God gave him. Now, we finish up in our second Timothy here today, uh, we are certainly near the end in, in our chronos. Our, is it chronos? <laughs> our time here, but um, the crown of righteousness. So, he talked about where he was at the time and then what he had done. I fought the good fight of, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. And then he says, in the future, Past, present, future. What an outline. It was so easy to do an outline this week, it was not funny. It's just kind of filling that in. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, 
the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. There's a future, and crown refers to the wreath that an athlete would would win whenever he was a victor in in those games. Uh, Christians are in the race. There is a crown. If you love His appearing, you will get that. It's, I think it's a description of all believers in that sense. The crown of life that is given all who love Christ. James 1.12 talks about that. Christ has saved us by shedding of the blood for our sins and you long for the day to see Him that He loves you that much. Now in second, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24-25, through 25, really quick... Um, almost a message in itself but do you not know that those who run in a race and there's that race again all run but only one receives a prize run in such a way that you may win you know finish it everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things they then do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable those wreaths will die out flowers will go you know they'll fade Therefore I run in such a way as not without, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my, my, my body right now, I discipline making my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That what I, how I live will not, I will not be disqualified because of the actions that I have done, decisions I've made that do not honor Christ, do not go along with the Word of God. That it would honor Him, I would not be disqualified. Um, salvation is a free gift of God but God will reward us also on the basis of our service for Him 2 Corinthians 5.10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body while we live now according to what he has done whether good or bad so we're going to get uh, these crowns in, in that thought. First Corinthians three. First Corinthians three. Paul mentioned again. And and he goes on, you know, he he tells them, Hey, listen, there's rewards. Yeah, you can be a believer, but look, here's what you want to have. Verse ten says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. He gave the gospel. Another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. Fire will burn up wood, will burn up hay, will burn up straw. Fire will not destroy the gold. It will show what's pure. It melts it down, gets rid of all the things that are not right, silver. and Same thing there. That, that, that is pure. And it says, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So if you're saved, you're saved. But do you want to walk in there with a mini skirt or a big flowing wedding gown? I think J. Vern McGee used that one. That sounds like him. <laughs> the rewards will differ. 
Works will be burned up, just as through fire, but we'll receive a reward for our service here. And He's a righteous judge. We ought to be in awe and fear of this God, but at the same time, He says, I'll get that crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. Everything that He judges will be perfect. He won't miss anything. Everything will be perfect. And somebody said, yeah, yeah, hey Lord, you, but you forgot this. No, Everything will be absolutely perfect. And I do want to tell you this. There's no need to fear the final judgment. One thing, says Romans 8.1, we will not be condemned. No condemnation. It's not because you earned it by being a good person, but it's by His death on the cross. He satisfied God's perfect righteousness, the crown of righteousness, Righteousness comes from Him. We know Romans 3, 21-26, that great righteousness of Christ that's transferred to us on our behalf. And this judge will welcome us into heaven on the basis of Christ's perfect righteousness. That should help us to run the race and desire to have the crowns that He wants to give us that we will give Him back. What a judge He is. We don't have to fear in that sense. Yes, we should be in awe and there is a holy sense of fear, but there was an earthly judge who was evil. His name was Nero. And that's why Paul is where he is at. He was not a righteous judge, but God, this man, Nero, condemned him. But the righteous judge will not do that. He will vindicate Paul. He will vindicate us. That day. You know what that day is, don't you? In that day. That's what He lived in view of that day. Does that want to motivate you to live a righteous life that He's already given us? Love His appearing. Having in your heart that very longing. The very appearing of Christ. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? What a testimony to the fact that you know when He comes, He will find you faithful. Now, wouldn't it be great to be looking over your life and have no regrets? You can say, yeah, but you don't know what I used to do. That life is done. It all started whenever you were transferred into the very kingdom of God. There are things that we do in this Christian life as as Christians that really don't give us a sense of fulfillment, a feeling of incompleteness that's there. We have that. There are things, oh, you know, we, we repent of. We look at back of that, but yet at the same time we can see what Christ has done with us. When we face death, and even now we know, and it might be a year from now, it might be 10 years, it might be 20, it might be 40, 50, whatever. But we want to realize that there's a holy satisfaction. There is a triumphant victory. A life work that is completed because Christ is in there. We really want to take that and be able to say what Paul says here. What, where he's at now. And what God has done in, in, in our past.
tents and doing with us and what he's going to do. And I think that's all very encouraging. That's the truth. You won't get that anywhere outside the whole the, the body of Christ, the true believers that preach the Word of God. Anything else is... Who knows what the world is teaching, the schools are teaching, the government is teaching. This is what truth is. We have everything to look forward to. As we look back, realize that I want Him to help me forget that guilt and know I can keep on plowing on. Forgetting what lies in the past. Going forward to that upward call of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. May we absolutely be blessed. Everyone right here today. Be so blessed as we have heard this Word. And that we too can have no regrets. And to be able to say what Paul said. Help us to do that in this life. In Your Son's name, Amen.